I never expected that we were going to turn these red counties blue, but we did what we needed to do. And we had that conversation across every one of those counties. And tonight, that's why I'll be the next U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. The voice you just heard apparently provided the difference in the balance of power in the United States Senate. John Fetterman's win in Pennsylvania gave the Democrats the margin they needed. Hello everybody, I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. But up front, the big game, election 2022, and faster than the, you can say Kornacki, the results have been flooding in. The key point, the balance of power in both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. In the House, we still won't know for a few more days officially. But in the Senate, it looks like that the Democrats will maintain at least a thin sliver of control. Among the wins and the losses and those results, as we said, the aforementioned Mr. Fetterman getting the narrow victory over Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania among a number of tight Senate races, some of those still to be decided as we go to press. Some LGBTQ history in campaign 2022 overnight. Mara Healy of Massachusetts became the USA's first open lesbian elected governor in the history of the country with a convincing victory. But she may have to end up sharing that honor because of the possible result in Oregon involving Democratic candidate Tina Kotek, who currently, as we go to press, leads Republican challenger Christine Drazen. If Kotek ends up winning, she will also join Healy as the first openly lesbian elected governor in the history of the United States. Jared Solis, governor of Colorado, the first openly gay governor, became the first openly gay governor to be re-elected on Tuesday. Those two were among many gems for LGBTQ candidates on Tuesday. But there's also a downside. Transphobia for a stronger America. A number of arch transphobes also won, unfortunately, on Tuesday. Among those, Idaho Governor Brad Miller, who was the first governor to sign what's become a flood of anti-trans legislation, especially since March 2020, one re-election in Idaho. Also, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who made a major spectacle of signing a trans student athlete bill last spring in Iowa, was also re-elected. And two of the arch transphobes were also winners. Texas Governor Greg Abbott defeating Beto O'Rourke, re-elected as governor of Texas, and with it confirming at least for the next four years that LGBTQ people Transgender people, particularly in Texas, will be criminalized in one form or another. And of course, there was Ron DeSantis, re-elected as governor of Florida and also seemingly opening his bid for the White House in 2024. When he's not, of course, taking affirming care away from transgender youth in Florida and also with the stroke of the pen trying to do the same for transgender adults in his state. We're going to have more on that later in the podcast, including 
a winner who also made some history. But looking at some of the other news this week, and a lot of that news surrounds the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. Alex Rimmer had an article that involved an interview with Khalid Salman. Now, Salman is the World Cup's official ambassador, and he's a former Qatari professional soccer player. In an interview Monday with German broadcaster ZDF, he said that homosexuality is, quote, damage in the mind. This is very damaging in many ways to the Qatari government's efforts to try and sell a positive face to a world that's been critical of the choice of that Middle Eastern country to host soccer's world championship. The nation's been criticized over cited human rights violations and its criminalization of LGBTQ people since they received the bid 11 years ago. Now that latter point has led a number of LGBTQ organizations around the world to call for boycotts of the World Cup. And figures such as Salman and the and Qatari government officials have taken to the airways on a PR offensive worldwide. Now, last month, during an interview with Sky News, the World Cup's organizing chairman, Nasser Al-Qatir, said that gay fans would be welcome to attend and welcome to be themselves in his country. Here's what he had to say. I assure everybody that they're, everybody is welcome here and everybody will feel safe when they come to Qatar. If I held your hand, Rob, right now and I walked outside the street for hours and hours and hours, nobody would say anything to us. Now notice that tune has changed when two days ago, Qatar's foreign minister, Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman bin Yassim Al Thani, said that European and Western countries think that Qatar is, quote, not intellectually or culturally prepared to host a World Cup, end of quote. He went on to say that, quote, it is ironic when this tone is struck in countries in Europe that call themselves liberal democracies, it honestly sounds very arrogant and very racist. He expounded on those remarks to Sky News two days ago. There is a lot of people from around the world, they are seeing this, is just a sense of arrogancy, a sense of people who cannot accept a small country in the Middle East has won uh, uh, the bid to host the World Cup. Preaching from a distance is not a solution. Boy calling to boycott the World Cup or who are not coming to the World Cup, it's their decision at the end of the day. We always say that, you know, sports should not never be politicized. What kind of message they are sending for their own public? If they are just criticizing and preaching from a distance, what about their own problems within their countries? I do have a question, though, in hearing this. Is Sheikh Al Thani wrong in saying this? In some ways, he's not. Consider the foreign minister of the United Kingdom, a certain Mr. James Cleverly and how he kind of wagged his finger at LGBTQ fans a few weeks ago. Foreign Minister Cleverly, you know that thing about people in glass houses? They really shouldn't use the bathroom. Um, after all, you do live in a nation that many people, especially trans people like myself, call Turf Island. After all, your Tory government is probably the most anti-LGBTQ government that you've seen in Britain since the Thatcher era, and your current prime minister, one of three you've had in like the last six months, Rishi Sunak, 
is planning to, quote, review the Equality Act to make it clear that sex means biological sex rather than gender. In short, throw they already want to make sure that transgender people have to go through conversion therapy, but now throwing them out of the 2010 Equality Act, too? Really? This is the type of government that you're representing, Mr. Cleverly. And I know at least a few Britons who aren't feeling this. In fact, we had a couple of them on this podcast back in June. The things that are being said by the press week in, week out, and it's relentless. It's having a huge effect on these kids, a huge effect. And people that say it doesn't are liars. It, it, it's, I would say the last year, it's absolutely took chunks out of my kids and it's just desperately unfair. She just wants to be the same as everybody else. Now, if you want to hear the full interview with mom, Emma, and my American cousin and friend of the podcast, Emily Williams, we're going to have that link in the Niner notes. I know some, I know what at least a few people are going to be thinking before you call me a Qatari apologist or whatever or whatever term de jour that you want to use. Let me remind you of something. I'm a person who wants to see a World Cup boycott. The World Cup should have never been put in that country in the first place. And I'm sure at least a few, at least one of you are probably say, well Carly, we're not throwing gays off buildings like they do. My response is, are you sure? No, we're just taking away affirming care from transgender youth like a certain Mr. DeSantis wants to do and a certain Mr. Abbott wants to do. And a lot of lay and a lot of legislatures from Maine to Maui seem to want to do with over 300 bills over these last two years. And others who are talking about striking down Obergefell, for example, and the same people that want to take away bodily autonomy from people. You know, that recent Roe v. Wade decision. For all intents and purposes, that might as well be the same thing. Because in many ways it is. When people say these sorts of things, I'm reminded of Gary Oldman's character in Air Force One. After all, it's okay in the West because we do it with a tuxedo, with a telephone call, and a smart bomb. You know, we have a lot of smoke for Qatar. But wonder how much smoke we had for this guy. Our constitution reads, the family and the nation constitute the principal framework of our coexistence. Hungarian state institutions are obliged to protect the Christian culture of Hungary. Hungary shall protect the institution of marriage as the union of one man and one woman. Family ties shall be based on marriage or the relationship between parents and children. To sum up, the mother is a woman, the father is a man, and leave our kids alone. Full stop. End of discussion. Oh, by the way, the voice you heard, Hungary's anti-LGBTQ elected dictator, Viktor Orban. As I've said often when talking about this issue, the best way we can affect human rights over there is make sure we get it right in NATO and the European Union and the Western world and here in the United States. And there's a lot of work there to keep all of us in the West busy. Oh, by the way, 
Where's the next FIFA World Cup? Yes, it's here in North America. It's a combined bid with Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And of the 11 American cities that will host World Cup matches, five of those are in places where LGBTQ discrimination has either been made legal or is on the books in one shape or form, with particular attention to anti-trans legislation. One of those cities is Atlanta, Georgia. Anti-trans legislation is on the books, and right now you have a Senate race that's a razor-thin margin that could possibly send a former running back turned transphobe who had a spoil sport who got had a fit over a trophy campaign for him who may get elected. Also, Dallas and Houston are slated to be host cities. We've mentioned a certain Governor Greg Abbott a great deal in this podcast in this short amount of time. The Kansas City metro area also will be a host. That's Missouri, which has been one of the most anti-trans states in the union for this legislation right now, so much so that Missouri, transgender Missourians have been fleeing the state. I know one of those people who did. And there is Miami, which means Florida, which means DeSantis, which means transgender youth got bullied by their own state medical board in direct contradiction to what medical organizations around the world say you should do in this proper care, and with a stroke of a pen, tried to do the same to transgender adults. Hashtag just saying. Now, to the FIFA Organizing Committee for 2026. You know what? You can easily replace Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, and Miami with, I don't know, Hartford, Denver, Minneapolis, San Diego, and Washington, D.C. Affirming areas that don't legalize discrimination. Hashtag just saying. And now, a few shout-outs. The first one goes to my man, Dwayne Wade, and... Alex Rimmer had the article on this, Dwayne Wade battling battling his ex-wife and the mother of his children, including his child Zaya, who wants to weaponize Zaya's transition to her own ends, allegedly. Now here's what Dwayne Wade had to say about seemingly his ex's objections to Zaya getting her name changed and moving forward with the transition. Quote, Zaya is not the same three-year-old child anymore and she's screaming that to the world, but most importantly to her mother. No one in our house would ever force Zaya or any of our children to do anything against their will, much less force an identity on them. This isn't a game for my family, and definitely not for Zaya. This is her life. D-Wade, I hear you, and oh, by the way, you got an open invitation. Anytime you and Gabrielle want to get beamed up, I will beam you up, because I want to hear you speak out, and not just here. Because I know you spoke it out for Zaya up, left, right, down, and center, and I appreciate it. But your voice and your wife's voice are needed in this fight for our existence right now. It's needed, and I hope you speak out even more. Also, a shout out to all the organizers behind the Cincinnati Power Pride and Pro Wrestling Night in Cincinnati last Friday. Oh, this from the looks of things on the Twitter sphere and the interwebs. It was awesome. It was a packed house. And special shout out to a certain Heather Owens, who was the lead promoter on this thing. And by the way, the good Ms. Owens was on LGBT in the ring a couple weeks ago with our own Brian Bell. Now, if you are not listening to LGBT in the ring, 
you need to be. Here's why. When you think pride, usually it's it's June-based. Yeah. So what Cincinnati Pride wanted to really focus on, especially this year, um, is that pride is 365 days a year. You know, you can't turn off the gay, as they say. <laughs> so you want you, you definitely cannot. <laughs> So you want to celebrate it year round, you know, not just June. So they were like, Heather, we want you to put on an all queer wrestling show. And I'm like, all right. So it's, it's going to be a little complicated because really, I mean, there are, there's a lot of queer wrestlers, but there's a lot that aren't out. I mean, there's a lot that are out to the, you know, the boys in the locker room, but not so much to to the rest of the world. Um, so this was just that this moment of finding, you know, I was trying to find somebody from the entire rainbow, you know, gay, lesbian, trans. And, and I just wanted to incorporate that all into a show and not just have wrestling, but have drag as well so that you merge two communities. So, I mean, the people that are going to come to the show may have never been to a wrestling show or the wrestling fans have never been to a drag show. So it's incorporating those two entertainments and, and making it one and kind of hopefully opening people's eyes. Shout out to Ms. Owens and shout out to one of my favorite racing drivers, Charlie Martin and teammate Jason Gagne Keats. Congratulations on an excellent Lamborghini Super Trofeo season. Here's all they did. They got a lot of wins. They got a lot of podiums this season. They went to Portimao, Portugal for the season finale with a chance to win the North American Championship. Charlie put it on the pole in the first race. Gagne, Keats, and Martin combined for second place in that first race, and it looked like they could go into race two, the final race of the North American Series with a shot at the title. Unfortunately, an early puncture put them behind. Then Martin tried to race them back up the field, had a spin out. They finished fifth overall, but still good enough for P2 for the entire series. Second in the championship ain't bad. And then in the grand final, which was a battle between the North American and European series, they showed out again. They were fourth overall. Excellent racing all season long. And congrats to you both, and you both have an open invitation. Anytime you want to get beamed up, Charlie, Jason, the door is open. I'll have the transporter locked on for you. Also, shout out to Zach Heron. Congratulations. Arca West, first ever race for the young LGBTQ driver. Was at the championship weekend for NASCAR in Phoenix. Showed out, finished a very solid 18th place overall. Excellent. Congratulations on the debut. I want to see you race more, which means memo to team own owners. LGBTQ people, they know how to stand on it and put that pedal to the metal. So at Daytona next year, get Zach Heron in a seat. And while you're at it, put Devin Rouse in a seat. That man's been running around, helmet in hand, ready to travel. Give the man a chance. Give the man a seat. At Daytona, I want to see them both in a cockpit. And if you've got a team that's looking forward to the 24 hours of Le Mans next year, there's a lady in the United Kingdom named Charlie Martin. Give her a call. Or better yet, give her a seat. You'll be glad you did. And that's the Red Alert Clacks. You know what that means. Gotta give love to the sponsors. Take a little break. But when we come back, we have one of the winners from Campaign 22 who made 
some transgender American history on Election Day. That and more coming up. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb, and we've talked a lot of campaign on the on this show today, but we also had some history for campaign 2022, where there's a lot of results that are still out there, but a couple of results we do have. We've added a seventh and an eighth transgender American to the roll call of those elected to state legislatures on Tuesday. One of those was in Minnesota, Lee Finke, winning in a district there. The other one is joining us, and their story began amid the turmoil that has hit trans communities and by extension all LGBTQ communities since the COVID crisis began in 2020. It was in March of that year that the first of over 300 anti-LGBTQ, largely anti-trans bills were passed. That one was passed in Idaho by Governor Brad Miller, who unfortunately was re-elected on Tuesday. And the contagion made its way across the border to Montana, and many spoke out, including a certain person. Since I was four, up until the age I was 22, I was a wrestler. And throughout my time wrestling, I won multiple state championships, regional tournaments, was ranked nationally, and was recruited by colleges across the country. In many ways, and I cannot state this enough, I am the woman I am today in large part thanks to the sports I played in my youth and the sports I continue to play in adulthood. The first thing that came to mind when I saw this legislation was the direct impact it would have on me. I'm an employee at the University of Montana where I play on intramural sports teams. I've played on them over the last six years and this legislation would ban me from playing on the women's intramural sports teams on campus, which has been a great sense of joy for me as a, it was a way I would build community within uh, the colleagues and friends across campus. The second thing that I thought of, and more important than my uh, intramural experiences by far, this legislation would prevent trans youth from getting to experience the joys of sports and from learning the lessons that I know sports can teach. I know firsthand the important lessons that sports can teach. In my high school wrestling room, there was a sign above the door that read, every day I leave this room a better wrestler and a better person than when I entered. And every day we left, we slapped that sign as an acknowledgement of the hard work we put in and why we put it in. And my coach would say, if you don't think you've become a better wrestler, stay behind, we'll do some drills. If you don't think you've become a better person, stay behind, we'll talk about it. We'll work through whatever it is you need to work through. My uh, heydays of winning championships are behind me. Um, and when I reflect back on my time in athletics, I don't think about the rivals I beat or the championships I won. I think about that sign. 
What I think about is how I would work hard every day to better myself. And now in my 30s, that's what I try to do, to work hard every day to be a better person, to remain determined in the face of adversity, to trust that if I put the work in every day, I will see the results. Trans girls do not have an advantage in sports. As I close my testimony, I want to remind you of that. If you want to talk about the process of transition and about how my own athletic abilities have changed since I've transitioned, I'm happy to do that with each of you. But I implore you, do not prevent trans girls from getting to experience the joys and lessons of sports. Let trans girls have their girlhood. Let them play and grow and become better athletes and better people. Let trans girls live. I urge you to vote no on House Bill 112. The voice you just heard is that of Zoe Zephyr, an MFA candidate and instructor at the University of Montana, sometimes recreational soccer player, former amateur wrestler, and diehard anime fan. Now, her story interested me to the point that we beamed her up in 2021. And as we chatted, she let it be known that she was all in on this fight for trans rights and would take it all the way to a certain floor in Helena. Since we talked about all the different things that you've been doing now one one big thing you're going to be doing is it looks like you're going to be throwing your hat in the ring yeah uh i will be running for the montana house of representatives in 2022. today ms zephyr is celebrating newly elected state representative for the 100 district of montana a district in midtown missoula and the coordinates are locked on Missoula, Montana right now. We're beaming you up. Representative-elect Zoe Zephyr, welcome to the transporter room. Energize. Ah, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm obviously thrilled at the way the night went in my race and uh, for trans folks across the country. Um lots of candidates lots of lots of wins and lots of hope which is something that felt in short supply for a while and feels great to have in my heart well before we get into the brass tacks i gotta say what a day you've had you had to fly into your own you had to fly in you had to get the results on a plane <laughs> I did. I did. I was in New York. I took a red eye last night to New York for three month post-op checkup. Did that checkup, caught lunch with a friend of mine, uh, and then flew back and checking election results on the uh, plane Wi-Fi um, and got my results right as I touched down in Missoula. Gut reaction when you touched down and realized you won and you won pretty big. Um. You know, because it's Missoula and Missoula's in 80,000 people and serendipity is what it is, I was actually sitting in a bubble surrounded by my constituents. And so they were as excited as I was and they were cheering me on as soon as I, you know, went, oh my God, the results are in. And it was, you know, overwhelming, but also it's, it's, it roots you in community to feel like so many of the people in my town said, yeah, that's the lady we want to represent us. Not just we support trans rights in theory. We want um, this, that, or the other. 
but to, that there were folks, 80% of my uh, district looked at me and said, she's the best of us, send her. And that's, if that's not humbling, I don't know what is. What do you think ultimately what the difference was? Because you won 80% of the vote unofficially right now, according to the numbers that we have. Yeah, plus 64. <laughs> um, the uh, What makes that difference? Um, you know, knocking, knocking doors, knocking doors, talking to people and being someone who understands the myriad of issues that are hitting people in our communities. Um, you know, we're talking out in Montana, it's, it's public lands, it's union, it's housing is the number one issue. Um, and being able to discuss those ideas be genuine with people. And then also a lot of what you do is you find the experts in your community. And a lot of those are your constituents. And then you synthesize all the bits and pieces that the people in your community are talking about. And suddenly you have a full picture. And then when it comes to being trans, that's at least for the folks in my community, that's a cherry on top. They're excited to be able to vote for the first trans person, but that is a cherry on top of all of the the policy and kindness and, and those kinds of credentials. Now that you are representative-elect, when you get to Hel- Helena, what do you want to do? Um. So, you know, I obviously write at my heart first things trans rights. Um, There was a pre-filing earlier this month from a Republican senator uh, to ban um, healthcare for uh, trans youth. Um, It's pre-filed, so it doesn't have text. It's just an intention, um, but making sure that we can hopefully stop that, whether that is stopping it from ever getting uh, to be a fully realized bill draft or stopping it in the in the committees or on the floor. Um, that's one. Uh, two, there's a lot of work to be done uh, around housing, both from restricting short-term rentals, from looking at landlord-tenant laws, um, to zoning policies in Montana. There have been some, uh, there's a bipartisan committee that came out with a very wonderful um, list of ideas on housing. Uh, many of which were touted by the Democrats and the Democratic Socialists um, last session and now seem to have more bipartisan support as folks on the right are realizing that we weren't just pretending housing was bad, that we're seeing um, it fully um, this session. And I'm hoping there'll be some bipartisan support from that. Um, And then there's other LGBTQ stuff, um, gay uh, gay trans panic defense laws, conversion therapy, stuff like that, seeing if I can rally support to make those, um, if the bill's not passed necessarily, at least push those fights. Um, And that will depend a lot on how the rest of Montana falls over uh, the next day or so. And we learn what the legislative makeup will be in the House. I know one person who also won tonight in Senate District 4, certain Mr. Fuller. Oh, yeah. Did he win? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, is, again, I'm off the plane. This is the first I'm hearing that. Wonderful. Uh, what a fine, uh, upstanding gentleman uh, to be colleagues with. Um, 
you know, I was in the room testifying when he, uh, against his bill. Um, and we will, um, we'll do everything in our power to make sure that trans folks don't have to deal with those kinds of tax, that we can stop them in the legislature. And one thing, I'm not sure we talked about this last time because it came into for sort of full picture in 2022. So you had over 300 anti-LGBTQ attacks. I heard you say That's that. Right. And over half of which are directly targeting trans people. In states where trans women are in the legislature, in 2022, zero of those bills passed. Because representation matters. Like, not theoretically, but it is the best defense we have against the worst attacks that come at our community. And that's work that I've been doing, you know, as an activist. It's work I've been doing when I was testifying at the legislature. And it's work I've been laying the groundwork for over this year as I talk with uh, Republican candidates and Democrats to hopefully um, paint a more clear picture of what trans rights mean and how we can make sure that those aren't being eroded um, in Montana. Also a note, it turns out that there's not eight, there's now nine. James Rosner in New Hampshire. First trans man to win election to a state legislature in U.S. history as well. So, and with that in mind, since you talked about that, since you said when you have trans people in legislatures, these bills don't win. Now that you're one of nine, and before that, there were six ahead of you. How much did those elected people like Danica Rome, like Stephanie Byers, like Brandon Titone, how much did those people influence your decision to move forward and put your hat in the ring? So they did not influence my decision to put my hat in the ring, but they did become this wonderful, I'm not sure I would have made it to the finish line if it weren't for them. You know, I, Taylor Small, um, Representative Small from Mont was one of the first people that I called. And I said, hey, I've got questions about how this works and I need help and I want advice. I'm nervous about door knocking. I'm I'm really scared about what door knocking is going to look like. And she was there to take care of me. And uh, Brenna Titone, uh, love her dearly, she called me monthly just to check in and say, okay, I know you're going through the anxieties of running a campaign. It's hard. Let's talk it out. And um, Representative Stephanie Byers from Kansas, uh, who did not run for re-election, but she was also um, doing check-ins with me as well. And those folks, you know, running a campaign is hard because you're always going and you never, there's no light at the end of the tunnel because you never know if you've done enough. And then suddenly it's election day and you have to reap whatever you had sown. Um, and to have trans folks say, no, no, here's how it works. Here's how you can stick with it. Um, and to pick you up in the days where it was a little scary. Um, I am eternally grateful for them, and I hope that I can be that for the next batch and the next wave of, of candidates running, because we're going to need more of them, because there are plenty of states left to go. Uh, 
to get representation and parity. Now, on a personal note, yes, you had affirming surgery during the campaign. How the heck did you balance all that? I mean, you're yeah. running for an you're running for office, and you're going through life a life changing moment, two life changing moments at the same time. Yeah, how did you make it work? Um. You know, I it had to be after the primary because my primary was incredibly, incredibly competitive. And knowing that I was in a bluer district district, it made it easier for to say, okay, if I'm gonna have six weeks where I can't really do much out, like I can't canvas, um, how do we make that um still be effective? Uh um in that and and do the surgery and you know you take uh, healthcare comes first and, you know, you take care of yourself. And this was, uh, something that an opportunity came up to get it when I did, and I was going to make it work and I knew I could make it work and still, um, get the results I needed in this, in, in the race. So I feel blessed and got full medical clearance this morning. So now I'm off to all the events and planning for the session. Oh, by the way, my kitty is now in my lap, and she congratulates you as well. Thank you. She's she she's quite happy. With that in mind, your thoughts on the attacks that you've been seeing, especially on healthcare. Um, as you probably know by now, with the results, Greg Abbott reelected in Texas, Ron DeSantis reelected in Florida. With all the with with all the drama you've heard in Florida the last three weeks with their board of medicine. And some of the things that they're unfortunately putting together directly affecting trans youth now. And you've just gone through this moment where having access has made a, has made this this life-changing difference for you. What's your thoughts on these attacks right now, especially on young trans people? So, you know, you've listed uh the the winners tonight, the trans, the trans folks who are winners. There's also a, a handful of non-binary folks who uh, who have won both in Minnesota and out here at SJ Howell in Montana. Um, and there's also, I've been watching, you know, folks who are focusing on school board issues, um, like Aaron Reed, uh, and noting that the people who are pushing a lot of the anti-trans rhetoric at school boards, they're losing out. They're, they're losing out. And the trans folks who are running are winning. And to me, the picture that paints is that if you're coming after trans people, if you're fighting uh, to take away the rights of trans um, folks, or adults and youth, you are fighting a losing battle. Like the communities that trans people are in don't want it. The people, the parents who have kids in schools they don't want it. If you're on the right and you're a GOP strategist, you're going to take a look in the mirror and say, oh, crap, we bet on the wrong horse. We thought we could fear monger about trans people. And it turns out that these trans people are their neighbors and friends. And oh, that was a mistake. Um, so part of me feels invigorated in that regard. But also seeing what DeSantis did in Florida with the board uh, of medicine it paints a picture that maybe they're going to start having, if they're going to double down 
on these attacks that they're going to have to do it by going around the school boards, by circumventing, um, you know, a legislature that says, no, this isn't what we want. And um, the effectiveness of that is going to be, um, you know, I think if they go that route, if the route that DeSantis has chosen down in Florida, I think uh, at best they will see fearic victories because in the long term, what we're seeing through these elections is that trans people are loved and supported by their communities and attacks against us are going to, they're going to net you, net you a loss eight days a week. Now, with that in mind, though, let's get to the real question, at least on my mind tonight. Let's get to the real question on my I'm mind. Ready. And, you know, there was something you said when you were beamed up last year. You know, I talked about like, oh, you'd be the first trans woman or trans person elected to the Montana state legislature. I'd also probably the, be the first like straight up weeb. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Weebs in office. I, that yeah. can, I approve that message. So now that we've elected a weeb, mm -hmm. I got two questions. One, what's an, name an anime character that you would cast a vote for. And secondly, let's say that they have cosplay day in the legislature in Helena. What cosplay would you do? Oh my the goodness. The floor of the legislature. The floor of the legislature. Yeah. Um, who is a, who would I vote for? Ooh. Okay. Um, okay. I'm voting for Nico Robin. Um, I just think someone who's going to dedicate themselves to like trying to uh, like fundamentally understand sort of the truths of the world. Um, like that feels that's, that's like right in my heart and just, you know, maybe I'm high on Wano uh, right now and one piece generally, but she's, I think, she, I think I could be, could be uh, convinced to vote for her and, most of the straw hats, if I'm honest. Um, if I were to cosplay someone, uh, the two things that jump to mind are, uh, ah, okay, uh, maybe my Sakurajima from Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Um, which is a favorite of mine, or um, oh, oh gosh, oh gosh, maybe Shikamori from Shikamori's Not a Cutie. I'm a sucker for like romance anime cosplays, I think they're unknown, but they're cute, they're cute as heck. Um, those are my answers. <laughs> well, Shikamori on the Lord of the Legend, that'd be kind of cool. That that would actually fly into Montana to like get video love <laughs> if you did that. It's a power, yeah. But but yeah, that's my those are my hot takes, and uh, we'll see how many. Uh, we'll see if I get anybody watching. You know, Greg convince Greg Gianforte to watch uh, uh, Evangelion or something. Um, <laughs> that would be a tough sell. I got to tell you, tough sell. But <laughs> we'll see what I can do. But one thing you 
you took on the tough sell for your district and you got it done. And sis, thank you and congratulations to you. And I look forward to seeing you slugging it out on the floor in Helena come January. Thank you. So thank much. you for being thank you for putting your name in and thank you for being on the transporter room this week. This is awesome. And I'll admit it was worth staying up for. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so anyway, you need to get some rest and color your cat. We're gonna beam you back down to Missoula because I know you've got a lot to get ready for and a lot to celebrate. Zoe's effort, thank you for being in the transporter room this week. This was special. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, I'm gonna gonna beam Zoe back down to Missoula. And before we go, Carly's last call. And what you just heard warmed my heart immensely. To see a Zoe Zephyr, to see a Lee Filkey, to see a James Rosner, and to see them get elected. On a night where, in many ways, many of us, especially in trans many transgender Americans, were on pins and needles, myself included, it was good to see the hope amid a time where it seemed like a lot of things were hopeless. With that in mind, though, I'm also reminded that there's still a lot of work to be done. Unfortunately, there are the Greg Abbotts, and there are the Ron DeSantis's, and there are those who, such as Kim Reynolds, and such as Rand Paul, who employed a certain spoil sport, who had a fit over a trophy to campaign for them, and who unfortunately got pushed over the line. But there are also others who did the same and lost. And this is a note to especially to transgender Americans to continue to pull together, come together, care for each other, and for our allies to also come together and speak out. And for myself, there's also the thing that motivated me to go to the polls on Tuesday morning. And part of that thing was seeing that half a continent away, Zoe Zephyr was running for office and won. But also, it was from another person who was a half a continent away, a young girl in Texas who stood up with a tiny voice that was part Dolly Parton and part Monica Roberts and spoke her truth to legislative power. Hello, my name is Kaya Shapley. Um, I love ballet, math, science, and geology. I spend my free time with my cats, chickens, FaceTiming my friends, and dreaming of when I will finally meet Dolly Parton. I do not like spending my free time asking adults to make good choices. When it comes to bills that target trans youth, I immediately feel angry. It's been very scary and overwhelming. It just... It makes me sad that some politicians use trans kids like me to get votes. That motivated me to go to the polls, but also the other side of her story motivated me as well. And that side of the story was the fact that this girl, who is all Texas right down to her bone marrow, was forced to leave the state she loved as a refugee in her own country. And no American should have to be a refugee in their own country, no matter who they are. 
Now, that particular child does have sort of a happy ending. She's a neighbor of mine's now, and I'm glad she's here. But I also know her heart aches for home and being displaced. And the only reason why she was displaced is because of who she is as a young transgender girl growing up in America right now. She shouldn't have to be a refugee again in her own country. And that's what motivated me to go to the polls. And that's what, motiv that's what motivates me to keep speaking out and keep standing lockstep, shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with others who are thinking the same way. And those others included a weeb in Montana who's now a representative-elect. Congratulations, Zoe Zephyr, and all those in our LGBTQ communities who put their hand in whether you won or lost. You carried the ball one yard further. And I'm grateful that you did. And that's the transporter room for this week. If there's someone you want to see or something you want to see or something you want to say about what I'm doing, Leave a message on our Twitter. Leave a message on our Facebook page. Leave a message at Transporter Room 10 Forward on Instagram. Because remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. And I'll see you next week.